Well, First Kings chapter 19 from verse 1. First Kings chapter 19 verse 1, you might want to turn there. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent messengers to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants. They've thrown down your altars and killed the prophets and the sword. And I, even I alone, am left and they seek to take my life away. And the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Well, good morning to you, Jubilee St. Louis. It's a joy to be with you. I'm glad that I get to have this opportunity just to serve you because I really do love you guys as a church and I remember you with really fond, uh, much fond memories. And uh, I just thank God for all he's doing with you and through you. And I have a, your pastor has a really special place in my own heart. So it's a joy to serve you somewhere this morning. In Proverbs chapter 3 and from verse 25, the Bible says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror. The Lord is your confidence, and he won't let your foot be caught. Do not be afraid of sudden terror because the Lord is your confidence. He will not let your foot be caught. And I guess I'm quoting that because by reason of all that is going on in our world today, uh, the pandemic that is everywhere in this nation and in your nation. And the tragic and unprecedented loss of life as the death counts just keep escalating. We've never seen anything like this before. 
Uh, I live here in the United Kingdom in London, and London is actually the epicenter uh, where uh, the uh, virus is most virulent, as it were, and the spread is just uh, most uh, uh, visible. And then for us as a church, we have three large hospitals around us and, uh, and many of our people serve there. They work there as doctors and nurses and all kinds of people that uh, help the hospitals run. And uh, we've, had to be, we've been praying for them and covering them with prayer and praying for house after household and so on. These, I don't know, I've never known days like this and I'm sure neither have you. I've known a number of pastors that have passed away as a result of this. Uh, as a pastor for me to have done two funerals in two weeks. These are not the kind of things that one prays for or intends and didn't even expect in January. And yet, these are the things that we're seeing. And it has a way of shaking people to their core and inflicting a certain kind of sudden fear that can enter into one that must be dealt with or else it wreaks havoc in a person's life. And it's with that in mind that I want to speak to you this morning about overcoming sudden fear. Overcoming sudden fears. Now, as human beings, we are not alien to fears. Okay, uh, there are first of all natural fears, uh, the kind of fear that is innate, it's in us, we are hardwired that way, and uh, you think for example of a baby, if you were to drop it, even a newborn baby, it, just the arms, the response are just instantaneous, and because it's intrinsic, we, have, we were hardwired to respond that way for our good, it's a defensive mechanism built into us by our maker in the first place, or you think of the fears that come as a result of a loud bang, a loud, a loud noise. A car backfires in the middle of the high street and everybody jumps in that moment because it was unexpected and because we were wired to take evasive action when things like that happen. Natural fears. But then we have irrational fears. Now we're talking here about phobias, fears, fears that there's no sense why one ought to fear it because you're much bigger than that little thing that you fear. But there it is. <laughs> that we have those fears, the fears of spiders, the fears of, fear, fear of snakes, or fears of, uh, fear of flying airplanes, fear of strangers. It's the third one that I really want to take a few moments to expand on, and it's the fear of, by reason of situations that happen in life. When something tragic happens in a life that you were not expecting, and with that in mind, I want to talk to you, first of all, about the reasons for sudden fear. The reasons for sudden fear. We're talking here about, first of all, life-shaking events. For example, bad news that comes. Life-changing events, bad news where you're not expecting it. Failure that comes when you thought this thing would go through and it didn't. Talking about just the loss of a job. And for us as a church, we run a food bank. Uh, where people come and it's amazing to see the number of people who are now coming, number of people that we've fed in just this short time since the, uh, uh, since the pandemic situation, completely unprecedented. And people who never thought that they will find themselves in queues like that. And it's happening. Life-shaking events. Talking here about loss of relationship, loss of finances, loss of and on and on it goes. Life checking, talking also, not just that, but also life, uh, life threatening events, one might say. What you think, for example, of a diagnosis, 
where the doctor gave a diagnosis or prognosis that is terminal in nature talking about a disease for example that is there and uh you just feel that this thing is threatening to take your life and then of course yes life taking life taking fears life taking situations that cause those fears all these things they have a way of bringing into a sudden fears and if that is not dealt with it wreaks havoc because sudden fear is actually have a way of showing our vulnerabilities. They have a way of showing our frailty. They have a way of showing our fragility. We're very easily broken. We're not as strong as we make out we are, really. It shows our humanity that we are not God and He alone is God. And the Bible, the Bible does so well for us because it, sh it always shows its heroes with their strengths and their weaknesses. Whether it be Abraham who had his wife taken and there's no way you could read that text without realizing this guy had major fears. What is he going to do now? Or someone like Jacob or someone like Job who actually said that which I have feared has come upon me. Or think of Habakkuk who actually said, God, why do you show me these things? And he just fears that the enemy is coming, the Chaldeans, on and on and on, or David, or even, dare I say, our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he knew what was coming, and praying to the Father, saying, if it be possible that this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but thine be done. Showing and the amazing unity of his humanity and his divinity, and I'm glad and I'm grateful to the Lord that he had those moments and it's documented for us that we may know that this is not an unusual thing. Well, it is important for us to learn about dealing with sudden fears because at some point or, or rather we all face them. At some point we all are confronted by them and we need to know how to confront it that we may overcome it. Because if we don't, and we, or we learn to bury it and keep it, these things have a way of leading to mental illnesses and leading to physical illnesses, leading to spiritual illnesses. And I say spiritual illnesses because Jesus himself taught us that the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And in that, he shows us the threefold ministry of the enemy. That where one, might ha one may have very understandable natural reasons to fear sudden news. And yet, if that isn't taken care of, there's an enemy that wants to capitalize on that. And Jesus said the enemy comes. He wants to come into that situation to begin to steal all that the Lord has given by way of gifts and blessing. In the past, he wants to take it. To kill, that is to kill every ounce of hope in a person's life or prospects for the future, to destroy, to wreak collateral damage so that it's not just you that gets hurt, but right into the further generations. It can want to take out, take out a whole family. The reasons for fears. And that's why we need to learn the second point here is the responses to sudden fears. Because people have different responses. 
Some people basically in the face of sudden fear freeze and we all have a tendency to do that. Where the freeze, that is a, a, a kind of paralysis that happens if ever you've had a dream where something is going wrong and you want to get up to move or get up to run or get up to fix it and somehow you just could not move. Uh, yeah, some, that kind of paralysis, some people tend to freeze. Some tends to in, don't want to fight it. Once the situation happens, they just want to lash out because I, did, I didn't see this coming. I'm not happy. They kind of lash out and they're angry. The danger with that is, yes, you need to fight, but you need to fight right. And very often, they're going to fight wrong because the fear is generating a certain kind of activity in them. And before you know it, they're hitting people that they know and they love and they're taking a very wrong path. Some people freeze, some people fight, and then some people just flee. That is, you just want to give up and run. You just want to give up, leave it, and just, that's it, we're moving house. That's it, we're leaving, we're moving church. That's it, we're moving, and on and on and on. Without really taking time to think it through, it's a way of resigning. The point is this, you see, to freeze is to surrender without a battle. To fight without thinking it through is to have confrontation without vision of who you're fighting. To flee is to have movement without direction. And all of these things are fed and filled by fear. And that's why I read you the story of Elijah. Give you a little bit of background. The guy Elijah, you read his story from 1 Kings chapter 17, where he just kind of appears on the scene. And when he appears as a prophet, he says, I'm a prophet, I stand in the presence of God. And he speaks with such boldness they had never seen anything like it ahab who was king at that time was completely transfixed and he himself was fearful because elijah called the nation to repentance elijah confronted ahab and his confidence elijah closed the heavens he said it will not rain until i say so Elijah consumed food that was brought to him by supernatural means. Elijah cared for a woman who was basically going to die very soon. He spoke to her, helped her, and, and she did a miracle where she got fed and her son. Elijah called back the child from the dead, probably the first resurrection in the Bible. Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. Elijah commanded the heavens, the fire come down from heaven to consume uh, the prophets of Baal. And it happened. And he did it all whilst mocking them. You might want to call him a superhero. This is Elijah for you. And that's why it's so strange that when Ahab goes home and his wife Jezebel, the queen there, is asking, why are you so upset? And he said, this is what Elijah has done. She sends a message to Elijah and says to him, may the gods do to me even more than more so. If I don't by this time tomorrow, take your life. I'm going to kill you, she says. Well, by the time you read Elijah's story and history and pedigree, you think, oh, he's just going to stand and stare her down and say, bring it on. But that's not what happens. <laughs> it's not what happens at all. In fact, in verse 3, the Bible tells us what he did. It says, and he was afraid and he ran into the wilderness and he left his servant. He was afraid, he ran, and he left. In fact, in verse 4, he says he actually asked to die. Where he says, it is enough. He says to God, would you take my life? He says, I am no better than my father's. This is the effect 
of sudden fear on a prophet like Elijah. He is discouraged. You're seeing despair. Maybe even all the way down to depression. Who knows? Uncertain times sometimes create moments like this. Feeling fear, facing fear, and fighting fear. For some of us, it might just be got to do with job or loved ones or just the loss that may happen. And what I love when I read this story is God's understanding. Where the Bible lets us know very clearly that although we may all have moments like this, the Bible doesn't try and trick us or make us to want to just get up as a superhero. No, God comes to Elijah through an angel and first of all gives him rest and then gives him food and then lets him just recuperate and be strengthened again. And that's just a wonderful thing because that's the nature of the God that we serve. That's the nature of the God that we serve. But with all that said, how does one handle sudden fear when it comes on one? How does one begin to handle it and deal with it? Where we already know that God is good. He wants to take care of you. He wants to give you rest. He wants to feed you. How do, what are the things that we ought to do? I want to suggest to you, number one, to learn to pour out your prayers. To learn to just pour out and pour out your prayer, to pour it forth. In other words, a lot of time when we're in crisis moments, there are opportunities for us to get closer to God in a way that we probably otherwise wouldn't have except for the crisis. God comes much closer in crisis times. And though he's there all the time, it's much more we that have to learn to move to come close to him, to learn to pour out our prayers. And prayer at, at its most basic form is a conversation with God. Before it is a begging or asking or wanting to receive anything, it is intimacy with God and conversation with the Almighty. And I worry sometimes that even as charismatics, we might almost want to leap too quickly to other things. No, it's a, it's a relationship with the Almighty. To learn to speak to God from the heart. When God came over, to Elijah, what God wanted more than anything was an openness of heart to speak from your heart how you really feel, how you really see it. Because with that openness is an opportunity for God to inject faith into your heart, not just into the mind. Because when God came to him and said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? That is a huge question. Because in that question, God is not looking for information. He's looking for a conversation. Because he knows everything already. He's wanting Elijah to pour it all out. And he did. I'm the only one. All the people have gone wrong. And they've killed all your prophets. He pours it all out. And the whole time, God is able to take it. There's something to be said. <laughs> Listen to me, there is no substitute for honesty with God, ever. To learn to open up and speak to the Lord is the, very, very, is the beginning of prayer. It's why I love David in Psalm 63 in moments like that that says, O oh Lord my God, earnestly do I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty, in a dry and weary land. And that's where there's no water. And so I have looked unto your sanctuary to behold your power and to behold your glory. 
what he's saying is, Lord, it feels like I'm dying in the face of all of this. But this one thing I do, I've gone into your sanctuary, gone into your sanctuary, gone into your sanctuary. I've gone to where you are. I'm seeking. It's your presence that I need more than anything else. The way to beat fears, sudden fears, ongoing fears, the presence of God. It has a way of rinsing out the the core of the fears and the debris it wants to leave behind to rinse you through until you can breathe again and find strength to pour out your prayers. It will shift your perspective and help you see right to pour out your prayers before the Lord. It's the first thing. Secondly, to pour out your praise. To pour forth your, your praise unto God. I love it in Psalm 34 when David says, at all times I will bless him and his praise shall continually be in my mouth and my soul will make its boast in the Lord. It says, the humble man will hear of him, the afflicted will be glad. Oh, come with me, let us magnify the Lord together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from all my fears. To beat fears, worship. Because worship is an invitation to God. Father, Heavenly Father, will you come from heaven? Come, let your kingdom come here on earth. It's an in, worship is an invitation to God. Worship is an invocation. It is, it, is, it is not just calling God to come be. It's calling God to come be all and who you are. It is an invoking of the Almighty's presence to come, if I could put it that way. Worship is incarnation. That is, the more you have the closeness of God, to be blessed close to God, something happens on the inside of you. Where something, it's almost like you begin to take on because that's what he wants to do, to put his character and his strength to infuse you and I with it. To beat fears. To pour out our prayers, to pour forth our praise, and to worship. Which is why, <laughs> if ever there were days, these are the days. To let, when I say worship, I'm talking about songs that have powerful doctrine set to music. That you sing it and they become like sermons you hear a thousand times until your soul rises up. Sermons, songs that help you sing about the character of God, the personality of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the strength of God, the holiness, the holiness of God. That if he's holy, he will not leave me here and I know that he is. The prayers, to pour forth our prayers, to pour forth our praise and finally to pour forth our proclamations. This is a, an aspect of prayer, one might say. It is learning to align our words in prayer with truths that we see in the scriptures. To align our words there. This is very important because if you don't learn this, then the tendency is that we learn to just be victims of everything that comes and hits us. And it can make, begin to look like your Christianity doesn't really work. It doesn't function. No, there's some things that God will do, but there's some things that he has given to you and I to do. And to learn prayers of proclamation is a very important thing. Aligning your own words and to declare truth that spring forth from the Bible. 
That's why I love in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 that actually tells us to put on the whole armor. That you and I, we need it. Put on the whole armor. It says that because we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against principalities, you know, we fight against powers in heavenly places. And then it tells us, therefore, put on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and put on the shoes uh, of, of the gospel, shoes that bring the gospel of peace. And to put on the shield of faith all around you and have the helmet of salvation, by the way. Because you need your head and your mind guarded because there are fiery darts of the enemy that want to penetrate through and they want to stay there as, a, as an incendiary device to explode at the right time where we say things like people lose their minds. But then at the last one, he says that all these other ones in Ephesians 6 are defensive, as it were, to protect you. But then he says this, but that you must have the sword of the spirit, he said, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which means there has to be a way of wielding this sword. That the word of God cannot just be called doctrine, nicely aligned and systematized. I love that. We need that. Because at the end of the day, when your emotions are all over the place, the doctrine is what helps you know God is still real. The Bible is still there and it's all still true. So we definitely need the doctrine. But it cannot just be called doctrine. It needs to be apprehended truth. It needs to be something that I live. I love what Kevin DeYoung says. There is no point having blood in a bucket, five, I think a human being has what, five pints of blood? There's no point having your five pints of blood in a bucket. It's supposed to be in your blood, in your, in your body, in your veins, flowing all around. Same thing with the Word of God. It's no point it being on a shelf or on a stool or even just verses memorized. That is not enough. It needs to be truths that you've learned as you're studying, as you're reading, as you're in the presence of God, that they come back, at, they come at you. And then you find yourself beginning to personalize it. For example, when I quoted uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 26 to you, I says, you know, you shall not be afraid of sudden terror. Now you're going to personalize this and say, I will not be afraid of sudden terror. Because the Lord is my confidence. Therefore, my feet will not be caught in the name of Jesus. Because everything we get comes through him. Now we get to the place where we save out. That he has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Where these are not vain repetitions. These are speaking forth what the Lord has put and brought alive in you. This is not just something that super duper high Christians do. It is everyone who wants to walk and learn to battle and fight. Because this, you see, is spiritual warfare. Fighting fear is spiritual warfare. I love when in the book of Philippians we quote so often, what would it look like if having meditated on it and it has now been the engrafted word in your spirit, able to save your souls, and now you can speak it forth where you can say, I will not be anxious about anything. I will not be fearful about anyone. But in everything, I will have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and it will guide my heart. It will guard my soul. It will guard my spirit. I will be protected and preserved by the Lord, the God whom I trust. These are ways that you and I, if we will walk in these things, then we learn how to handle fears. 
you cannot just educate it away you cannot just theologize it away you cannot just wish it away you cannot just medicate it away all those things have a place that they are they have they have a place that role that they play do not ever leave out the spiritual side of it where you learn to stand where god says to the prophet on one occasion prophesy to the bones speak to it in the same way till today we have a way of confronting our fears and the more you do it you find out that actually it begins to melt away you begin to grow and become the person god wants you to be with all that said i'm going to close by praying for you that i pray that in the name of the lord that this great god whom we serve who gave his only begotten son that he will keep your home safe and he will keep your relationships strong and he will keep your children blessed that he will make your life uh, fruitful in every way that you will be a preacher of the gospel you will demonstrate the gospel may you be a soul winner in the name of the lord may the lord be with you and keep you and bless you and strengthen you in all that you do in jesus name and everybody said, Amen. It's been good to be with you, Julie. God bless.